So I've had a bit of a week. I know. <laughs> Ever since we went out together. Had a lovely night out. Yeah. Went to the theatre. Yes. Next thing I know. I wasn't very well. But the two things are not connected. Not at all connected. Thank <laughs> God I had the theatre to sustain me. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only thing that kept me going. And that explains the slight pause in the instalments of As the Actress Said to the Critic. And that's where we're back with this episode. Episode 24. Gosh, is it really episode 24? That's amazing. 25! 25. Oh my goodness, can't believe it. Um, with me, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, the actress, Nancy Carroll. And where we were together before I decided to be ill was um, at the National Theatre seeing Phaedra. Uh, in a new production by Simon Stone. Still using his glass box. I mean, it is interesting, that thing, isn't it? When directors find something that they're really happy with exploring, but with every single story. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Fedra. It says says on the programme that it's told via Seneca and Euripides and Racine. But actually, if you had never seen Fedra, you wouldn't at all know that it was Fedra, I don't think. Because um, though there's a sort of forbidden love at its centre, the, the forbidden love is with a, not with a stepson, but with the son of a former lover. But the thing you definitely would know is it's by the Australian director, Simon Stone, who has made a habit of putting plays in glass boxes. Yeah. <laughs> It's always difficult, isn't it? Because I'm sitting there as, a, as an actor and you're sitting there as a critic and we're next to each other, but also great lovers of theatre. Um, and I was just, I suppose, just astounded by what they achieved, the sort of intricacy and dexterity of the way that they performed, particularly the first half. Yeah. Where they were all talking over each other. In this, But it was clear and sort of amazing because... The the sound, because it was obviously coming out of the glass box and so it had a different sort of quality than being simply projected onto the stage. And it, so it had that almost radio play quality whilst looking in on it. Yes, and the, yes, and, that's true. And the, as the glass box moves round slowly, it becomes like this sort of doll's house, literally that you're, you know, and you become drawn in to something I, that I don't think I've ever seen. I mean, Yerma had similar qualities but was... Yeah, that Less was, characters. Yeah, and... that was two years ago, was it? I think, oh, a bit longer, maybe. Yeah. So he did Yerman with Billy Piper also. At in, the Young Vic. That went at to the New Young York. Vic, also in a glass box. Yeah. Which was kind of volcanic and galvanising. And yeah. So exciting. And this was the same. We did, I, it was quite funny at the end because we were both grinning broadly because it's got a kind of exhilaration, I think, when yeah. you see actors absolutely at the top of their game. Yeah, yeah. Racing through a very witty, clever text. Yeah, yeah. Um, and apparently he writes it virtually on the day, which yes. must mean as a feat of kind of absorption and learning. It's extraordinary. A nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Simon Stone. But as an actor, you think, bloody hell. But I mean, but also flying by the seat of your pants, which in some way I think informs what we wa- watched, which yeah. was was brilliant. And you were on the edge of your seat. And maybe that's part of the, the whole experience, you know. It's a bit like how uh, Mike Lee makes films. You know, nobody ever makes contact until they're in front of a camera. And, and that that gives it an extraordinary quality and that that's through years and years and years of making films and he's decided that 
that's when you get the full electricity yeah. and nothing is recreated. And maybe that's the same, it's on the similar level. I think know? it is. And I, I think you're right. Also, somebody finds something that works for them and you sort of know that's what you're going to get. And then you just go along and enjoy the ride. I mean, it was it was exhilarating. I can't think of a better word to describe it, really. I never got to write a review because I was taken ill after it. But um I do think what I would say, I had, I could have reservations and I could analyse why I felt that some of the tragic trajectory got lost. I, I felt it slightly fell to pieces. But while I was watching it, my principal feeling was that sense of it just being thrilling and seeing actors like Janet McTeer absolutely at the top of her game and you know you don't see her very often on a British stage and it, it, you just wished you saw her a bit more I thought it was oh it was just great but the whole ensemble oh, yeah. I mean the, the level of listening um and baton passing as you say was stellar and 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 I and I just loved it for that and and uh, you know as a punter I just didn't want the first half to end. Yeah, we've talked in previous episodes about length, but the odd thing about this was that it was two and a half, two two hours fifty, I think. Yeah. But actually the first half's quite long and you just didn't want it to stop. Yeah. But I saw we both got to see on separate occasions the Lehman trilogy and I didn't see it the first time. But again, length when the richness of the story that's being told doesn't come into play, I don't think. Because you need the minutiae of every single bit of that story in order to to be completely fully immersed in uh, I suppose why they've chosen to tell it in the first place and it, and and the richness is there yeah. and and you and i imagine if you're ben power or sam mendes you think well what do we leave out you know that's the big tragedy is that the, that story is so extra, you know extraordinary and over decades of people sort of rising from nothing and 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 just amazing but also the story of the immigrant and everything else yeah, and so you yeah. bear a responsibility Get swept the, along yeah and and so sometimes you need box, that time <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah interesting <laughs> although last night that, that's an open glass box yeah last night I went to see a preview of Romeo and Julie at the uh also at the National. Yeah, yeah having... three amazing things. Yeah. It was so exciting, really. And what was that like? I, well, it's a preview. So, they, you know, and, and um, so you, I don't want to say too much, but and I didn't get to see Iphigenia and Splot, which my daughter Nell did and yeah, absolutely I saw that. loved. Oh, I thought that was one of the best things It's I'd another Gary Owen. Um, and in fact, Joe, um, my husband Joe, did one of his first plays, um, Shadow of a Boy, in the loft season that the National did years and years and years ago. In fact, we went to the restaurant before the show in in the space that Joe performed, which is amazing. We were sat there and I thought, I don't think I've eaten here. And he was like, well, I've done a play here. Which is, <laughs> that's where they did Shadow of a Boy, oh. which is amazing. And and But, God, it was brilliant. It was and absolutely it- brilliant. And is it Romeo and Juliet or is it kind of a long way from Romeo and Juliet? It isn't that far. I mean, it's it's very much a modern retelling. Um, but at its essence is true love. And at its essence is true love in in young people misunderstood by the older generation who think, oh, well, look, it's first love. It, it's, you know, it isn't, it isn't anything. But it, but... It's absolutely beautiful and the performances, yeah, I was just spellbound and the kids loved it and 
It had it had a great simplicity, despite the complexity of the adaptation and the brilliance of his writing. There was a simplicity to it, which meant, I think, that the actors could then just get lost in the depth of that story and the mm, depth of that love and the depth of that connection. And my God, it was just brilliant. And it was very, very simple. You know, there were very few, there's very few uh, props, very little set. Just, you know, it, it was transformative. I, I Transportative. Transportative? Sounds good. You're transported. I'll have to go I'm and not see transformed. It. I could be transformed. <laughs> I, mean, I was transported. transported. Yeah. <laughs> like, like bottom. bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom thou art transported. <laughs> so, um, well, as you look forward, I'm hoping to get back to the theatre next week. So I should try and go and it's see really it. It's really special. And uh, but in the meantime, I'm uh, the the other thing that's happened while well, we've not been talking to each other has been that in um, Germany there's been this extraordinary story of a ballet director called Mark Gorke, who has took objection to a critic's review of his work. Oh yes, it was in the Guardian, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been all over the place. And his reaction, which he claimed was unpremeditated, but has was to smear dog feces over her face in the interval which seems exceptional there's quite a lot of instances i realized afterwards of, of um, creatives dumping drinks on the heads of critics during interval. oh really okay it's been a few certainly in ballet and opera right uh but i think dog feces he said he had the poo bag in his bag which is possible but it's quite right. it's quite horrible yeah um he's been uh sacked uh, she's reported to the police. Yes. He hasn't apologised, which uh, I think is interesting. But it's, of course, brought up a whole raft of stories about the relationships between critics and actors. Yeah. And critics and, well, actually critics and directors more than actors and writers. Yes. Um, maybe actors are, are kind of calm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I remember years ago, Joe did uh, King Lear with David Warner at um, Chichester. And I think it was Billington who said he felt his Lear wasn't angry enough. And David Warner wrote back and said, perhaps you'd like to point out where in the text it says Lear is angry. Because yeah. for my money, he's not. He's just slightly, you know, fraying at the edges. And I, and I thought, well, that was rather brilliant, really, because it was... And this is the nature of it. I think, ultimately, there's no conversation. It's not a dialogue. And in really and truly, you put together a piece of work, whether it's music or theatre or, you know, performance of any kind, circus, whatever, and you put it out there. And it's a conversation with an audience because yeah. the audience respond. But then a paper or online blog or whatever it is that sends a critic along then reviews it that review is not part of a conversation it's rhetorical yes and that's the problem with it because ultimately there's no right to respond we're supposed to accept freedom of critical opinion which it is for the most part there's a certain amount of you know depending on whether or not that's your you know favorite medium or whatever we've been to we've talked previously about dance critics being sent to the circus when they don't and yeah. it's a very different medium so then opinion forms the greater part of the experience and yet there's no right 
you can't, to respond. There's no comeback. And if you're, if that critic, whether famously uh, rude or not, is particularly damning, and sometimes in the in certain cases may close a show or certainly stop people buying tickets to see it, you sort of you you want your need to respond sometimes spills out <laughs> yeah it's it's really tough because you if you if you want to respond we seem to be defensive yes no i think that is true so it's, it's interesting billington michael billington revere critic for the guardian for so yeah. many years seems to have prompted more kind of um uh angry reaction the most possibly by dint of doing it so long right because he wrote this week about how the fact that he was punched in the head by david's story oh my but God. just kind of that was kind of as he it was like the drink being thrown over so he got yes, yes. but that he found that less offensive than he had a long um attritional relationship with jonathan miller right who used to fire off letters and emails and in fact as an arts editor i got complaints from a lot of the people who other people have had complaints from including miller yeah um i think there is a i think there are a group of people and they are particularly directors and writers who feel that they they are very hard done by and that they um they do want a right to respond. And I yeah. think that is quite an interesting thing. So in the old days, I would have said as an arts editor, if you disagree with our critic, then please feel free to write to the newspaper. Oh, right. OK. And actually in the old days on the Telegraph, the Telegraph used to have this kind of slightly Wild West policy towards opinion. Now it's it's much more narrow. But they did. Um, I remember that we had an art critic called Richard Dormant who was very on the money with um, Brit art and with the whole sort of uh, conceptual art movement of Damien Hurst and all right, those right, people. Right. Okay. Brilliant writer and would brilliantly argue his case and we did get to the point where he'd written a, a review in favour of, um, I think it was of Sensation at the Royal Academy, the famous um, uh, show. Yeah. And then the editor put, the editor of the paper wrote in, uh, Charles Moore, who was then, wrote a, a, a lengthy editorial saying, you may think our critic is wrong. I personally do. Oh, and, wow. I, and I kind of, though, I mean, everybody said at the time, well, that's a bit weird. But in a way, yeah. it is the, the creation of a conversation. Yes. Um, and I, I'm reluctant to give Gorke too much kind of credit because I think he did a ballet early on called... Um, thin skin and I, I think he has exhibited that but the the one sort of and, and, and it is an assault you know what he did and yeah, it's yeah. awful but I do think that it is an interesting thing that he raised that you can't um, have a comeback and that if you do you're regarded as moany and I yes. think that that's interesting yeah one of the things I always used to say when I was sort of teach well still do say teaching criticism is that to some extent you have to imagine what you how you would react if you met the subject of whatever you've written yes yes in a room and had to stand up what you've said yeah because otherwise it's it's tantamount to talking behind someone's back yeah and ultimately the thing i think that's missing particularly at the moment where it feels like this and that you know and Hats off to to anybody that sort of dedicates their life to any endeavor, you know, that that is artistic, including criticism. And I, however, the thing that is missing from damning reviews 
is celebration of that endeavor. You know, yeah. the celebration of what it means to put on work of any kind, particularly at the moment. Yes. There is no care. There is no responsibility to the arts. It is simply, this is my opinion, and there it is. I yeah. put it out there. I've been paid to put it out there. It's based on my expertise. It's based on my considered response. And there we are. But ultimately, that assumes that we're not connected, that we're not all part of the same world, uh, and that in some way we bear a responsibility to one another, particularly at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and I don't mean we should all be strokey, strokey, aren't we all marvellous? I just mean have that in the mix. Yeah. And it is tricky missing. because because the other bit in the mix, as we've talked about before, is is the audience. So that you want the audience to be getting sort of value for what they paid for. But yeah. on the other hand, that you know, different people can very much disagree about what they're seeing. Yeah, so, completely. So I think I think you're right. That idea that we're all lucky to have something, you know, in a sense that we're all lucky to be able to sit there in the stalls and, yes, and yes. enjoy it, and even not like it. When I when I'm um, teaching criticism at the moment, I um, I always use this Lin Manuel Miranda um, quotation that he told me in an interview. I said this before; might have said it before. He told me in an interview that Hal Prince had told him, yeah, Hal Prince, the great director of musicals, yes, that the most important thing any creative person could do was to go and watch, because by watching everything, yes, you find out what you don't like as well as what you like, yes, and you learn more at some levels from the things you don't like because you ask yourself your questions why you don't like them yes than you do from the things you like yes and i think that's uh, and so what you're essentially doing is building your judgment and testing your taste and i, I think that maybe sometimes gets lost from from what critics do right i i would like to think that they are testing their taste that they're knowing all the time that they're growing something and so in fact all those things they don't like yeah. feed into that as well so yes. they can have an element of generosity even while saying it's not very but then good. that requires self-awareness as well yeah. and that some critics one may argue don't always display traits of self-awareness it is simply a sort of there's a sort of vomitous nature to the way <laughs> things come out, which it doesn't yeah. mean that it isn't inarticulate or brilliantly coined. Yeah. It's just that sometimes if you're on the receiving end of that, you have to dismantle and do a lot of the sort of reading between the lines yourself. It isn't there in print. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's fine because it makes brilliant copy. And sometimes things are fantastically written, and, and it, but they bear little resemblance to the experience that... that a general member of the public may have of that show. Yeah, I once did a radio debate with um, Quentin Letts, who is the notoriously um, fierce critic of the Sunday Times. And um, and we he said, I just don't know how you managed to write any, uh, anything at all yes. if you're um, kind of, you know, thinking about what you write. Because I w this was actually about how you described actors. It was about how you described appearance. And I said, which was is true, that I do sit and work out words I am going to use. Whereas I think it, I think it is true that you're 
sometimes you can get carried away by what you're writing. Yeah. And that is why criticism is such an imperfect art right from its beginnings, yeah. right from its 18th century start, where, you know, Mr. Sneer and what are the critics called in, the, in, in Sheridan? And then Mr. Sneer and Mr. Something. Smear. <laughs> no, it's it's Mr. Smear and Mr. Grumble or something. And... Um, I'll remember in the end what they are. But the, you get carried away by, by your own wit. I mean, yes, that was yes, Sheridan's yes. point about critics, that they got carried away by yeah, their own yeah. wit. And I think that's still true. And, it, it, you know, you're doing it to deadline and it's imperfect and all the rest of it. Yes. But I think I think it is, um, yeah, I think you do need to sometimes sit and think and, and take a little bit of care uh, what you write. But that's it, you know, the, as you say, the fantastic turn of phrase is a thing that all writers love. and But then it becomes you know, something that belongs to itself, not to the piece or to the ethos of criticism as a whole. You know, it, and, it, you know, we're all guilty of things like that. It's like when you're on stage and you become wedded to a certain moment because it got a laugh one night. Yes. It, become, it, it, it declares independence on the rest of the piece and, and becomes self-serving. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. It's what we do. And it's really tough in that way because at the end of the day, we're all human. So I suppose what then need what, we're suggesting it needs in is an is a injection of humanism yes and and something yes. for the community yes i think that's right you know and 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 it's and also as you say that brilliant idea that of the editor you mentioned with the with the sensation exhibition that ultimately that one is entitled to respond yeah. as it as a com, you know a conversation when we were talking about the cherry orchard at the yard yes. and the lovely writer um yes vinjay patel vinjay patel and how brilliant he is about putting it out there yeah. and, and and saying well this is part of something and i want to talk about what that is and you know what was so lovely about going to see gary owens's work last night owen um his Owens' work that uh, that um, that Joe was there at the beginning and that he, he could see how much you know despite feeling that he was brilliant at the beginning he could see how much he had grown and so as a a writer or a director or a critic or a performer we're growing in the public eye we learn in the public eye and that we're you know that there as I say that that endeavour I think needs to be celebrated and learning on the job is part of it and so to be damned yeah. at any stage and having to sort of brush yourself down and get yourself back up and carry on of course is part of it but you could argue how much it should be yeah no I th and I do think I think one of the great disappointments of course of the online space is that you know I am old enough to remember when the the ideas of online came in, everybody thought, oh, it'd be brilliant because we can have um, a kind of great, great forum for discussion and yes, everybody yes. can put their comments below the line and it will be really interesting and it will further, for you know, debate about art and about sport and politics. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, BTL is just kind of a, a, a terrible, messy, fighting Rebarbative yeah, rudeness, yeah. you know, and and occasionally it isn't. Occasionally, I did a piece about I did a piece about the writer spring in the Observer, and actually people sort of wrote about what they thought about Stravinsky and why Stravinsky was so interesting, and actually that was lovely because you felt that was the space below the line being used 
to have a proper engaged debate. Yes. Um, which I, it just never has. And it's it's very interesting how anger, I mean, here, you know, with, with uh, Gorke, his, his anger has risen so much, obviously. Yes. Um, and that is as essentially, in a way, the, the to me, the physical act of dog poo is like what happens a lot below yes. the line. I have had debates with critics, but uh, with with creatives that are quite deep and quite lengthy, but they tend to be private as well. And yeah. Whether there is an argument sometimes. I do remember one that I thought, actually, this will be quite interesting to publish because... By the time we finished talking, we sort of agreed. And that was quite interesting that the conversation led us to a point of kind of balance where he accepted what I'd written. Yes. And I accept that, that I had misinterpreted something he'd okay. done. So we got to kind of, you know, good point with it. And I sometimes think those kind of things usefully could be published, but who cares except people are obsessed like us. But it's interesting as well that... It, it, I wonder if, given that times have changed, given that, you know, like uh, Luke was saying from the Revel Park Circus, that the audiences are new, younger generations have different expectations, maybe conversation around criticism and and re response to performance of any kind is something that, that is what we need to grow audiences again because yeah. it's about the right to be there and maybe a right to response you know, would then flow into the right to be there or the the right to return. Yeah. And it becomes something that is, you're not being presented with something perfect and your response, you know, if the critical response isn't rhetorical, that it's all part of a conversation about what we need from the arts and what yeah, the making arts better wants to art. make. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's the way to regrow, you know, that actually for a younger generation to feel that they have a right to respond Whereas currently it does get bogged down into what I would see as a kind of really not edifying side of the culture wars. Yes. And that, so in fact, rather than being a kind of helpful conversation, it does tend to be um, negative really on both sides and everybody gets entrenched. So I think it is an interesting question how you promote better conversations or, around Or, you know, or it builds up into somebody smearing dog poo yes. onto somebody's <laughs> face because ultimately the, 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 the forum for conversation is so sort of tightly bound and misunderstood that the, the tension builds and builds and builds until somebody, you know, takes a turd to a performance yeah. and smith because it's yeah. bursting out of them. <laughs> the irony of it happening in Germany is quite intense because my experience of critical discourse in Germany has been that it has been it's so serious and so kind of measured compared with oh, really? what we have here. Uh, in some ways, I mean, I've been to especially Rand Dance, kind of endless critical forums where people agonise about meaning in works and. Um, and, and intention and how you perform and what the choreographer's intent was. And yeah. I, I, I mean, I am at some levels quite surprised it's happened in Germany. The other thing I just wanted to raise before we ended really was yeah. that one of the other sort of sidelines that's come out is that he um, alleged that this woman had, um, uh, the critic had not liked his work over a long period. Yes. So therefore the effect of her consistently berating him was culminative and, yes, you're, and what, that yes, you're right I mean, yeah. that the anger breaker um she in fact i should say her name 
Um, she's called Web Kahusta. And she said that that's not true, that she has admired and liked some of his work, which right. he'd sort of forgotten in the kind of ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is a sense, I, I think, I don't know so much in theatre, but in dance on the continent that critics are quite negative about work. Uh, Yuri Killian, who is choreographer I like, um, has has been really unhappy with critics and yes. has basically stopped performing at some level, you know, putting new work up at some levels because of it. And one of the things that the critics themselves have started to talk about on various forums is, is whether you sh- if you really know that you don't like somebody's work yes you should excuse yourself if there's a team of critics whether you should say oh right right actually let someone else have a look at this yes and i must say i do do that now the reason okay. that i think i write more positive reviews than i used to is that there are certain things i just know i'm not going to like very right, much right 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 so i do and you know what's on stage has a big team of critics so right. i can I can pull out and say, I, I, I won't go there because, yes. uh, you know, what's the point? I, I've looked at it, decided it's not for me. Yes. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because we're not talking about positive criticism. No, I mean, nobody has a problem with positive, like, oh, God, I really wish that they'd stop telling my marvellous. You know, and <laughs> well, that's, that's a John Gilgood quote. Oh, about is what's, what's a good review? And he said something like, he said something like about 5,000 words of unadulterated adulation. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. Nobody ever remembers the good review. Well, no, well, this is it, isn't it? I was talking about this with my mum the other day about parenting. It doesn't matter how much good stuff you do. Your kids only ever pull you up when you're rubbish. Yeah. Um, and and so you and you fall apart at the seams thinking, oh, God, why did I think I could do this? But actually you've been doing all right most of the, most time. Of the time. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you sort of, the general feeling is if you're going to take the good, you should accept the bad. Yeah. And and as a performer, I don't generally read them because I think, well, actually, the good doesn't do me massive favours, yeah. you know, to go on that night and recreate what I did the night before. Um, and so I should take the good with the same pinch of salt that I take the bad. Yeah. And, you know, really and truly, if you're going to feel marvellous with the good, then you have to accept the bad, you know, by the, yeah, by the yeah, same yeah. end. So then, the, then it becomes a question of where does negativity fit in all of that sort of stuff. And I think it's the balance of negativity with the collective effort and money and endeavour that it takes particularly now to put on a show yeah. of any kind. That's the issue, isn't it? Yeah, those I think two, it is. Those are the two very thin ice sensitivity yeah. moments because it is so tricky to get to get the money, to put it on, to get it out there, to feel that you have an audience to play to, that there's an important voice that needs to be heard, all of that, and then to have that then panned in any shape or form is so hard it's, and it is like i mean thin skin i mean i i joke about it but it, it, if you if you put the work out there then then you must feel that layers of your skin are exposed completely and actually as an audience even you know with the best will in the world you don't feel that you just feel well i went along to that and i didn't like it or i liked it yeah and so the, the, in that sense the critical response is always going to be different yeah yeah but i do i do think i've remembered i've remembered the sheridan name okay it's, it's mr dangle and mr sneer <laughs> 
that's what they are. So Mr. Dangle and Mr. Sneer, I don't know, they should just have a think about what they say in that context. I think that is, and actually, oddly, this story, though, I again, I think um, the public haven't necessarily seen the debate. Perhaps they've talked about it to themselves. I mean, yes. it's, it's a bit like the Kynan remark, Tynan, uh, Kenneth Tynan's famous um thing about I could not love anybody who did not love look back in anger this is the same about you know it's kind of the ultimate test sort of poo test yes and it has brought up a kind of debate among critics and among people who care about the performing arts yes about responsibility and what we should be doing so I think that is you know a good outcome yeah and also I think you know we're so naked up there and writers are so naked and directors and everything else and and it is it is sort of lifeblood that you put into it and and maybe there's something that should come out of this which is that that we should know more about critics in a way. We should yeah. know about who this person is that's writing, why they're writing it, why they've devoted so much time, why the writing of criticism is so important to them. And and actually, you know, that those personalities, that vulnerability, that exposure is felt universally. And so that we can sort of, uh, then everybody's got skin in the game, yeah. really. Yeah. And maybe that's the thing you feel that, that as a as a performer or or somebody who wants to put theatre on and see theatre blossom again, you, and it is, and you know, seeing these shows in the last two weeks, I sort of thought, oh God, it's just glorious. But you you the exposure that you feel is not then matched by the anonymity of a critic critic handing in a review who particularly young critics when we don't know who they are whatever and that they that's just handed in and then we have to deal with it and it's out there yeah and and, but we're still exposed we're still yeah maybe so maybe i don't know i'm just clutching at straws but maybe there's there's something that needs to be balanced in order for everybody to be okay with that freedom of speech again yeah i mean i i think in a sense it is insolubly it it bleeds as i say into the the whole history of theater criticism but nevertheless you know we are in a different point we are at a point where you know there's not only um what is interesting is is is, this is a very serious very long review in a very serious newspaper Right, right right and i think maybe that's part of what wounded but we are in a forum now where the space for critical discourse is getting squeezed at the same time as the need for that what what you're saying uh, and for the need for a conversation is greater than ever so perhaps that's what we should all hope to move towards and perhaps over subsequent episodes we'll come up with some answers yeah 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 and and that brings us nicely to the end of episode 25 of as the actress said to the critic with me nancy carroll the actress and me Sarah Crompton, the critic.